Hello and welcome to Jetavanarama Buddhist Monastery. We meet with the 11th episode of this series of Dhamma Talks. Does that surprise you that you have been with us on this journey for 10 consecutive episodes, moving forward every step of the way? And today we are on the 11th. This is an interesting adventure. I'm sure it is, and I'm sure you'll find it that way. I certainly hope you do. It's also a fun experience because it is, after all, the one thing that matters to all of us universally, without question. The one thing that matters to all of us is our happiness. And, of course, we'd like to keep our loved ones, our friends and our families happy at the same time and along the way as much as we possibly can. But of course, how can one make another one happy if they're not happy themselves in the first place? This is why, before I started to talk to you about this, about what I'm sharing with you, and I have been sharing with you over the past few talks, I was a student of this discipline myself for a considerably long period of time. In fact, it has been over six or seven years by now that I have been consistently a student of this practice. And so you can be assured that I speak to you with conviction, experience to back it as well. And this is why I speak to you with confidence, because I know having experienced, having tried out all sorts of other avenues and alternatives and options and choices, there isn't any other that is quite the match for this. And what is this? This is the Buddha's guide to happiness. So we meet again today to take another step together on this journey as we go forwards and onwards. Before we commence then, let us take a moment to pay our veneration to the Supreme Teacher, the Supremely Enlightened, the Perfect One, the Omniscient One, the Magnificent One, and that is the Lord Buddha. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa I know many of you will have come with us right from the beginning. So I trust that most of you who are with us here today would have joined us on the first talk of this series. Do you all remember what that was? It was titled, Why Buddhism? And then do you remember the second talk? I admit it might have come across as quite controversial for a lot of you, considering what we may have heard and what you may have learned about Buddhism all this time. And what was that? That Buddhism is not about letting go. Because it is true, is it not, that in most books and in some talks, seminars, lectures, and so on, we have often, I myself, have come across the concept that Buddhism is about letting go. And that has, to some extent, also explained to me why a lot of people aren't in favor of Buddhism, particularly those 
who call themselves Buddhists, after all. People who are Buddhists by birthright, as in something that they inherit from their parents. A lot of Buddhists that I have known in my life, or at least who claim to be Buddhists by birthright, are not really totally in favor of Buddhism and they're not committed to practicing the Buddhist philosophy. And, you know, I don't blame them. Certainly not after I know what I know today. Because even if it was proposed to me that in the name of Buddhism, I have to let go of everything, I can assure you myself, I wouldn't have jumped up and down over the idea. Because I know how hard I have worked all my life, particularly in my lay life, to acquire a lot of the things that I had acquired before I decided to make a change and take a different path. All the hardship that I had to endure, the long hours of work, study, commitment, dedication, persistence, and fighting all those challenges and battles along the way, trying to win arguments and debates and discussions and getting involved in meetings and all that. So that was all the effort I had to put in to acquire a lot of the things that I had acquired. So then to be told that in the name of Buddhism, you have to let go of all of these things would have sounded quite absurd to me. I would not have been in favor of that idea. Certainly not. So it was certainly a breath of fresh air to me when I realized, actually, that is not what Buddhism is all about. It is not about letting go. So that's when I took a great sigh of relief and thought, finally, finally, I can at least take a moment to study Buddhist philosophy because I was worried. Not just I, but my parents. You can imagine, when I first started to listen to these talks, right, and when I started to become a regular to these talks, and when I started to study them and try and apply those principles into my life, the people who lived with me and around me, they began to realize that I had taken up a new interest. And when they learned that it was Buddhism, they were not very impressed. Certainly not at first. Not very impressed again. I completely understand. I get it. Why that was the way it was. You see, because even they were of the opinion that Buddhism was all about letting go. So they must have thought to themselves, this child has gone through so much to acquire all the things that he has by the age of what? 20, 25, 28, around that time. I worked my socks off. Worked into the wee light of the morning and done everything in my power, in my capability to earn and acquire wealth and other prosperity around me. So then for my parents, for my siblings and my loved ones to watch me follow a path that they thought would end up in me having to let go of everything. You could imagine they were not very impressed. And all because they cared about me. They truly did. They cared about so much about me that they didn't want me to do anything that I would not be happy with. So that was how things started off. And again, you know, when you start to listen to talks given by a Buddhist monk, and if your family or friends get to know about it, then it's possible, it's quite possible that they may also feel the same way. So the first thing you need to do is to empathize with that. 
They're only feeling that way and they're only reacting the way they do because they care about you. And for that, most of all, you should be grateful. Because rightly or wrongly, for the right or wrong reasons, the fact that they care about you is a big deal in itself, isn't it? And we must return that care. So, when I realized that actually that Buddhism is not about letting go, I slowly started to share these concepts, these ideas with them for only one reason, and that is for them to understand what I was up to and therefore be reassured that I'm doing what I'm doing for the right reasons. So when I finally decided to take a bold step in the what seemed to me the right direction, one that I had, it was only a matter of time that it was going to happen. By that time, my family was prepared and willing to help me on that journey. And they did it quite, quite happily. So I expect that this day may come for some of you in future. It may be a, a long time in the making right now, but it may come someday for you in your lives. And if it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's not the problem. But I want you all to be empathetic towards your friends and your family, your loved ones, in the event that they question what you're doing, in the event that they get a little bit annoyed or frustrated or maybe irritated that you, are, you have taken up a new interest and one that leads to you letting go of everything, then please be understanding of them. And the best way to remedy that situation is to share with them what you have learned as you make progress. Because then they begin to realize that actually Buddhism is nothing about letting go and it's all about realization. So since then, on these talks, I have been sharing with you what I have understood so that you may understand and that you may realize for yourself. I can only explain things to you as best I can so you understand them, but the realization has to happen in each and every one of you. And that is a wholly personal affair. I can't realize on your behalf, surely. Just as much as you can't do that on my behalf. But I can certainly explain things to you as best I can until you understand it, until the penny drops. Now, I appreciate that given the medium through which we are connected, that is a video where you are unable to respond to me and I'm unable to see how much and to what depth you have understood what I have shared with you, I continue to keep these ideas as simple as I possibly can. Because I want this to be, I want this to mean something for as many of you as possible. From the seven-year-old to the 70-year-old. From the poorest to the richest. Matters not. If you can hear me, if you can understand the simple language and the examples and the style in which I present these ideas to you, then I invite you to continue with us on this journey and hang in there because all will come clear in a short while. So, on the 11th program today, let us see what we have in store. What did we talk about last week? Yes, we talked about black beauty. And we talked about, having used that as an example, how absence makes the heart grow fonder. We, talk, we have talked about the roller coaster, remember that? And also how our 
conception that beauty, be that in sight, sound, smell, taste, or touch, is in the outside world material objects, is flawed. We are beginning to understand that actually this thing that we all experience as pleasure is not something that we can source from the outside world, but rather it is the product of a function that happens within our minds and internally, a wholly internal affair. Now this is something I want you all to focus on and continue to reflect on as we go forward, because this will be the building blocks of your understanding. We need to get the fundamentals right, and if we lay a good foundation, then the rest will work itself together. So we need not worry about what's in store for us in the future, but rather we must ensure that we have the basics, the fundamentals laid down right and proper. So with that in mind, I would like to spend a little bit more time sharing with you and discussing and talking through a few more examples, because I really want this to become a realization for you. And sometimes it's not enough to just talk about one or two examples for something to become a realization. It's like learning math, for instance, right? You learn how to multiply and then you work through a couple of sums and sometimes it's just not enough. Sometimes repetition, if you, as you work on a few more problems, you begin to realize every single time I try this out, I get the same answer. So something's, something's got to be right here. This has to be what I've been looking for. So we keep on trying all sorts of examples and I hope that with each and every example that we take from the life lab, which is exactly where we ought to be trying these things out, I hope, I really hope that it's being proven to you time and time again that the concepts that we have discussed hold water. So I'd like to share with you another story. Have a think about this one and see what, see how you feel about it, okay? I want you to imagine a situation, and for those of you who are parents, this will be much easier than for others, but even if you are not, I'm sure it's just, if you just let your imagination run wild, you won't have any problems. Let's take a mother, for instance. A mother who has two children, let's say they're both sons, and I'll even go as far as saying, let's imagine they're identical twins. Okay, so from the outside, you can't tell the difference. They're identical twins, and she dotes on both of them equally, as any mother would. So she loves them dearly, and they're a bundle of, of joy. Now, Despite all the similarity between these two children, there is but one difference. It so happens to be that Tom, who's the younger of the two, well, they're identical twins, but let's say Tom's younger by a few minutes. That's quite possible. Usually, even in identical twins, you have an elder brother and a younger brother, right? So let's say Tom, who's the younger, and Jack, who's the elder, uh, Tom and Jack, they're both in the same class at school, okay? But Jack is more academic than Tom. So Jack, who's the elder son, he's more academic than the younger son, Tom. Tom is more a sporty kind of guy. So he likes his sport, but he's not all that into his studies. So he's not, he doesn't perform well in class. In fact, sometimes his teachers get concerned about his performance in class and every time the mother has to go for parent-teacher meetings usually she has to spend more time with Tom's teachers than she does with Jack's. Why? Because that's usually where she gets most of her complaints from. 
from Tom's teachers. Why? Because Tom is not all that academic. Jack, on the other hand, is quite the academic one. He's very much into his studies and he's performing quite well in class. Now, in the last term exams, Jack scored highly, as usual, and he came out first in class, as he normally does. So he's a regular top performing student in class and he's always in the first, second or third rank. Now I know this might sound odd and weird to some people in some cultures where in the education system that you are familiar with, you don't have a ranking in class, but in some cultures they do have that. So it's quite common. Um, and they have a rank. So based on how much, how many points you have or how much, how many marks you have, you've managed to get in your exams, you are graded and you are either the first, second or third in class and so on. Okay. So, but I know in some education systems, they, they do not follow that method for whatever reason. So Jack's come out first in class, right? And it's, a, it's quite a regular thing. He's always either first, second or third. Hardly has he ever been any less than that in rank in class. And so he comes home and he tells his mother, 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 guess what? Yes, son. We got our exam results today. Yes, son. Guess what? What? I came out first. And mother says, well done, my son. Well done. So, of course, she's quite happy because her son has come out first in class. But the thing is this. He's a regular. He always comes out first or second. At worst, he's third in class. So you can imagine her mother, his mother's response is, 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 is in line with that. So his mother is not all that surprised, as you would imagine, because it is what she expects. She knows that her son is would normally come out first or second or third in class. So top rank in class. So she, therefore, she's not overly impressed by that. She's happy nonetheless. And her response, her reaction is in, in keeping with, uh, with what she expected. So that's, that's, that's Jack. So Tom comes running now. Now Tom, remember, is not the academic one. He's a sporty chap. Right? So Tom comes running and says, Mother, mother, yes, my son. I've got my grade. Yes. Guess what? What? I'm third in class. And mother goes, What? Oh my God. Is that true, darling? You're third in class? Oh, that's fantastic. Really? We must celebrate. Let's go, let's go tell your daddy. She's over the moon, having heard what Tom had managed to achieve. Now, you might wonder, why this difference in response? Is that because mother loves Tom more than she does Jack? Is that why she gave a more loving and more endearing response to the younger son than she did the elder son? Is that why? Well, if we dig a little deeper, we begin to realize why this difference in reaction. Did you know, well, of course you didn't because I just made this up, that Tom, this is the first time in his school life he's ever managed to achieve anything above 10th in class. So he's always been 10 or under. This is the first time in his life he's managed to become third in class. But look at the mother's reaction. You'd even be forgiven for wondering, hang on a second, Bhante, but surely third is two less than first. Surely, 
first should get the more encouragement, the more encouraging and more endearing words and, a, and, a, and an embrace and a kiss and, and all that special treatment. Why is it third gets all this treatment? You know, surely if Tom came out first in class, then, you know, you can understand. I, can, I, I get that. But, but how, come, how come Jack came first in class, Tom came third in class, and, and third place gets a better response than first? How does that work out? Well, you ask me, but I'm sure you know exactly what's going on here. Because, as I said, if you're a parent yourself, you know what I'm talking about. You know the dynamics that's at play here, don't you? Why this euphoria on the mother's part, having listened to Tom share his results, having come third in class when that's the first time he's ever achieved it, and when Jack actually managed to come out first, that's not second, that's actually first in class, there's none above him. But Jack didn't get the same treatment. So much so that she has decided, the mother has decided that today they're going to throw a party. It's going to be a special treat tonight for everyone in the family. Just as much as you are, Jack sat there wondering, scratching his head, hang on a second, this ain't fair. But I came first in class. I never get this treatment. So, that's the story. Let's take a moment to work out what's really going on under the hood. Remember what we discussed about pleasure. You'll agree with me, won't you, that mother here is experiencing a tremendous gush of pleasure. Won't you? It is pleasure that she expresses. The pleasure that she experiences is what she's expressing through her words, through her body language, by embracing her child and sm almost smothering him to suffocation, almost. Right? All, this, all these loving words and oh my gods and what and wow and I'll give you a party and give me, tell me what you want for your birthday, all that. You know, Jack never got any of that. He probably did the first time he came and shared his results, but, you know, it's been a while since Jack heard anything more than, well done, my son, for coming first, second or third in class. It's been, a, it's been a long time. So, you know, it's perfectly understandable that the poor kid's wondering, why do I bother? But what's really going on here? What is pleasure? Is pleasure in coming first in class? Is pleasure in achieving a high rank? Is it coming first in class that gives one pleasure? Is it the outside world event or object or person that brings one pleasure? Well, that is what we thought it was, wasn't it? Although now you understand that our definition of pleasure has been incorrect for a long time, for as long as we can remember. That is our entire life, until now. Now you know, don't you, ladies and gentlemen, that pleasure is nothing other than relief from vexation. What is vexation again? For those of you who might need a, a gentle reminder, vexation is a state of mind it's a, it's, a, it's a feeling of lacking something. It's a feeling of unsatisfactoriness. It's a feeling of a void, not a void, a void in your mind. Like something's not complete. Where you're yearning for something, something you hope will come true. Something you're looking forward to will come true. It's that, it's your mind begging for something. It's that feeling of I'm incomplete until I get that which I need. That's what vexation is. It's a gap that needs to be filled. It's a deep hole, it's a deep cut, it's a wound in the mind. So, 
What is the vexation in this example that this mother had, which Tom was able to fulfill far better than Jack? What was it? Well, to answer that, we need to go back to the example and see what vexation mother had for both these kids. Of course, she loves them equally. There's no question there. As I said, they're identical twins, and the reason I said that was to make sure that we, are, we have a level playing field. Right? Any good science experiment must keep all other factors the same, right? except for the one that you're varying. So that's why I said identical twins. The only difference here between the two of them, and you couldn't tell them apart, the only difference here is that Jack's a studious fellow, and Tom isn't. And Jack constantly, consistently performs well in class. Therefore, you'll understand that mother does not have a deep vexation, a deep, oh, I wish, I hope, I really, really hope that one day. No, mother does not have those feelings about Jack's academic performance. She may have that about other things in Jack's life, but certainly not about her, his studies. Because she knows, doesn't she, that whenever Jack comes running with his exam results or year-end results, he's always going to be either first, second or third in class. So she knows that. She knows that so much that she doesn't feel a deep vexation in her mind. Because every... Vexation is an expectation. And conversely, every expectation is a vexation. You see, she has a huge expectation on Tom that one day, just one day, before I close my eyes, forever, just one day, I hope, I just hope, just one day, he may come home and tell me, mother, I've got a better grade than I always do. I've come third in class. I've come second in class. Guess what, mother? I've come first. No, she doesn't expect that. Not from Tom. She doesn't expect Tom to come first in class. But she expects that Tom will perform better. She puts in a lot of time. If you go and study her timetable, her routines, you realize that she puts in a lot of time towards Tom's education. Whenever she gets a spare moment, she's with Tom, helping him with his homework. She sends Tom for extra tuition. And she's always concerned, she's always worried, she's always fretting about Tom's education. But not about Jack. Jack's all right, he'll look after himself. He's bound to become a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or a teacher or someone like that. Whereas with Tom, on the other hand, hmm, that leaves much to be desired. So mother is always concerned, always worried, always fretting, and always vexing. Always vexing about her little one, her younger one. That is Tom. When will Tom ever perform in class, and when can I be proud about his education? I'm proud of him, all right, but about his education... This is something she's always concerned about. But guess what happened on this fine day? This fine day, Tom comes home and says, Mother, guess what? I came third in class. And she can't believe her years. She can't believe what has happened. So if we take a microscope and examine her mind, right? and we take a mindoscope and examine her mind, what's going on in there, you'll begin to realize a deep vexation that lay dormant in her mind for all these years. Ever since she realized that Tom wasn't ever going to be a performer in class, but she didn't give up hope. She always kept trying. She always wanted Tom to rise up and be on, on par with her, with her other son, with his brother. That vexation was relieved on the day that she got to hear that Tom had come third in class. That was a huge 
weight of her shoulders. You, you see where these expressions come from, right? Don't you? A weight of my shoulders. Such a relief. I feel so good. Oh my God, I feel so good. It's such a, such a relaxation, such a relief. See, this is what's going on here. Otherwise, otherwise, which sane mother would rejoice in, would rejoice more in her child who's come third in class to her other son who's come first in class? Which sane mother would do that? If you ignore the facts, it seems like this is absurd. She's lost her mind. Right? The elder son having come and said, I came first in class, she should be head over heels. But no, it's the other son who's come and said, I've come third in class. Right? If, you, if you just ignore completely what's going on in the background and you just study the, the, the end result, you'd be sat there wondering, scratching your head going, what's going on here? Is she nuts or what? But then, when you begin to realize, when you begin to, I beg your pardon, analyze what's going on here, then you begin to realize that this pleasure that she is experiencing, this pleasure that she feels rushing through her mind and through her body and has given her a sense of exhilaration, this pleasure is the product of relief from vexation. How else, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you, how else could you explain this situation? How else could you explain it? This pleasure that this mother feels, how else could you explain it when she loves both children dearly and equally? When she cares about both of them dearly and equally? She loves not one more than the other. To her, both are her own children. But there is just one difference in the two children. With one, she is more vexed. Will he? At least someday, hopefully. Oh, I so hope so. Maybe, just maybe one day. Just maybe one day. But with the other son, she does not have that problem. She does not have that worry because he's always a regular performer. Now, you understand what's going on here, right? It is the relief from vexation that she experiences. More, more, more vexation, more relief, therefore more pleasure. That's the way it works. The amount of pleasure that one experiences from a situation, from an event, from a happening, is directly proportional. Directly proportional to the amount of vexation that they were experiencing beforehand. Now you understand this situation and why mother expresses a much deeper sense of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment when her younger son came and shared with her the news that he'd come third in class much more than when her elder son or the other identical twin came and said, Mother, I've come first in class. You know exactly what I'm talking about, folks, because I, I want you to apply this into your life again. Think about similar experiences in your own life. Think about your children when something like this might have happened. Think about your friends or your family or even yourself. What brings you more pleasure? Something you have been waiting for for a long period of time or something that you wanted and you got almost immediately? Which brought you more pleasure? If you compared the two things side by side, ignoring the story that's behind it, ignoring everything else and just take a very objective comparison between the two things in question, you know, you'd come up with a completely different 
analysis and a completely different evaluation of which one's more valuable, which one's more worthy than the other. So think about it. I want you to I want you to think of as many examples as you possibly can from your own life. Think about them now, this moment. Because this is when an understanding becomes a realization, when it comes true for you. And you can understand from someone else's examples, but it comes true for you when you apply it into your own life examples. That's the way it works, folks. That's why I'm asking you to do it. Do it now. Think about a time when something similar might have happened in your life. And while you think about that, spare me some brain capacity as you think about this as well. Now, let's imagine that it's another day and after the sports meet, right? It's a sport meet and now the two children, they've taken part in various sports. You know who the sportier one is. That is, of course, the younger one. Tom is sportier than his elder brother, Jack, right? Now... On sports meet day, at the end of the day, they come and share with their mother their achievements. What do you think is going to happen now, this time round? Do you think Tom's going to get the same reaction that he got when he came and said, Mother, I came third in class? Do you think Jack's going to get the same reaction this time when he come, when, as when he came and said, Mother, I came first in class? No, because this time round, it's a different story. This time round, Tom comes and says, Mother, I came first in the relay race. Or, I came first in the 100 meters. I came first in the javelin throw. I came first in swimming, Mother. Just like last time, and the time before, and the time before. But what about Jack? He's never managed to at least get to the finish line on time. He's always been last in his games. But this time round, he's taken part in some sport, sporting activity. Let's say it's 100 meters. And actually, he's come third. This time round, he's third. Last time round, his brother was. Last time round, he was first. This time round, his brother's first. Now they come home with the results from the sporting events. Tell me, what do you think the mother's reaction is going to be? Same as last time or the complete opposite? I need you, I want you to answer this question. Why? How do you explain the difference in this mother's reaction now? You see, now her response to Jack is the same response that Tom got when they came back before, previously, with their results from their class tests. And Tom gets the same reaction that Jack got when they came to her with their, the results of their class tests. This time round, it's the, it's the flip side. How come? Yet again, yet again, folks, she experiences pleasure. And this time round, what was her vexation? This time round, her vexation was, oh, when will Jack ever, ever be able to compete with his friends and at least cross the line on time, let alone come third, or at least come home with a medal? She never expected that, but she always hoped for that. She always yearned for that. So she was again head over heels when she realized when she got news that Jack had this time, for the first time in his sporting career, won a medal, having come third. Whereas Tom, on the other hand, the regular performer at the school sports meet, has yet again won a sleuth of medals and have, has come home only to share the news, mother, just like last time, first again. Well done, my son. She gives him a pat on the back. But whereas with Jack, it's the whole, the full works again. Embrace, hug, tears of joy, party, celebrations, let's go tell your daddy, and all the rest of it. 
what we need to take away from this, folks, is not what happened to Jack and Tom after that. You know, well, they just lived happily ever after, as all good stories. What happened here, what we need to take away from this story, what is the, the moral of the story? The moral of the story is that pleasure is simply the product of relief from vexation. Pleasure is simply the product of relief from vexation. Vexation builds up in a person's mind over time. And the longer the wait, the longer the vexation, the longer or the more you value something, the more intense the vexation. So these are some of the things that impact this. How long you've been waiting and also how much you value it. There's a root cause to vexation, which I will talk about in a subsequent talk. All in good time, don't you worry. We'll take it one step at a time. Because as I said, I'm not rushing this because there's no need to rush. What I want for you is to understand this fully, completely, and make a realization out of it. I've been in this practice for over seven years, eight years now. So I don't expect to, and it would be unwise and unfair of me, to just dump it all on you and expect to pick up the pieces. No, I want to take a slow but steady journey so that you realize this for yourself and you achieve the same levels, if not greater, happiness than I have managed to achieve to date. That is what I expect. And therefore, I, let's take our time with this. So there's a root cause to this vexation, which we will come on to later. But you understand here that in this situation, how long the mother has, has, has had to wait, as much as as well as how much the mother valued the, the outcome. These are factors that determine how much she vexed. And the magnitude of her vexation can be seen through the magnitude of her pleasure. So when she cries out in happiness, you know how much vexation was in that mind a few moments ago. So really, tears of joy are really tears of sorrow a moment ago. Only you didn't see those tears. On some occasions you do. Let's take an example of someone who's just been informed that they've been diagnosed with something terminal or someone who's a loved one of theirs. Right? Just imagine that I know this is a far-fetched example. You will agree with me when I say what I have to say next. But it happens. So it's not a completely unrealistic example. I know these, these things can happen very few and far between, but, you know, they do. But, you know, just for the... I'm trying to get a point across here. Right? So imagine a situation where someone's been informed that a loved one is, has been diagnosed with something terminal. And then what happens? Of course, they break down tears and... Uh, it's a complete disaster. It's a train crash. This person, you know, emotionally is just cannot bear this grief and, you know, it's a complete breakdown, right? Imagine a, mo a few moments later, the doctor comes running back into the waiting room and says, oh, excuse me, I'm, I'm really, really, really sorry. Yes, doctor? Uh, we got the reports mixed up with another patient. I know. It's, uh, it's not your mother. It's uh, somebody, it was somebody else. After they administer a few slaps and a few beatings and maybe file a lawsuit, right? what's going to happen after that is, of course, a deep sense of relief, isn't it? A deep sense of relief. You know, it may be that this person who's just got this news will say, I've never heard anything better in my whole life. But, you see, this person whose results have just been shared with the, let's say, the next of kin, they were not diagnosed with something, with, 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 let's say it's a cancer. They were not diagnosed with a terminal cancer a few moments ago. 
So a few moments ago, they were not diagnosed with a terminal cancer because she didn't have one. But the, the, the child, let's say it was her daughter, she did not feel the same sense of joy. You know, who runs around you know, clapping their hands and jumping on their feet saying, hey, I don't have cancer, None in my, nobody in my family has cancer. Yay, who, who, who does that? No one does that. No one does that. I'm not being insensitive by using an example such as that, so please don't misunderstand me. The, the only reason I'm using this is, is for effect, because I want you to, to realize exactly what's going on here. So I have to use something that can, could happen in, in, in real life. Right? I don't wish it on anybody, of course not. And it's not something that we should you know, joke about. This is not a joke, so this is something serious. But I'm, I'm talking about something even more serious. Something even more serious because we're talking about mental suffering. You know, the child of the mother who was wrongly diagnosed, she was not as happy that her mother did not have this terminal illness before the report came out. But now that she was informed that she had it, mistakenly, admittedly, but then later to be informed, oh, sorry, that was a mistake. And now the joy that she has about her mother not having this terminal illness. Surely those two should be equal, shouldn't they? Technically speaking, those two should be equal. If you put in all logic, that should be equal. But really, this defies all logic. How is it that she's so elated that the mother does not have this illness when she didn't know that she had it a few moments ago. And she was not all that happy. So how do you explain this happiness? How do you explain this pleasure? The only way you can explain it, because it is the way that it happens, is pleasure comes from relief from vexation. The moment that she was informed that her mother was diagnosed, her mind went into a deep, dark state of vexation. It was almost as if her mind was crushed and crumpled. If you could visualize her mind, it's a crinkled, wrinkled, crushed, crumpled ball of fire and suffering and torture. But then, when she was informed, oh, that was just a mistake, a minor technical error. Sorry about that. When she was informed about that, what happened then? A deep sigh of relief and a moment of euphoria. So much joy, joy she's never experienced in her life ever before. She's shouting from the, screaming from the rooftops, running from door to door, ringing her friends, no, 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 she's all right, she's all right. Oh my God, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, she's all right. But she could have done that before the diagnosis came, but she didn't. That's because pleasure does not come from knowing that your mother does not have the terminal illness. It comes from relief from vexation. That is the key message that we want to take away. I want you to take away from this talk. Pleasure comes from relief from vexation. It always has, it does today, and it always will. Pleasure can only come from relief from vexation. And that being so, so what? What we need to understand now then is if pleasure comes from relief from vexation, where does it not come from? Where does it not come from? I ask you, where does it not come from? It does not come from anything else. Simple as. It does not come from anything else. It does not come from the sights you see or the sounds you hear or the smells you take in or the tastes or the touch or the thoughts you have or the events or the people that you associate or the things that happen in your life. None of those things give you pleasure. It is simply relief from vexation that gives you pleasure. And then so what? Well, this is so what? So, it makes little sense, does it not? To commit, dedicate, completely invest our entire lives to the never-ending, never-fulfilling, never-satisfying task 
of acquiring material things, acquiring property, wealth, other assets, people, objects, experiences, and so on. In the name of pleasure, I mean. For knowledge, to know how things work, that's another thing altogether. But in the name of pleasure, if pleasure is what you seek, if happiness is what you seek, it makes little sense, does it not, to go after a plethora of things, material things. Because really, all these material things, if their acquisition is being done in the name of pleasure, all those material things are immaterial. Immaterial for the purpose of pleasure. Because pleasure, you can repeat with me, pleasure is achieved from the relief from vexation. I'm going to leave you with that for today. Let's continue our discussion next week. Before we conclude, let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired. This is our way of saying thank you to all those who have helped us all this way throughout our lives, for us to be here, to get here, for us to come together like this, for you to be able to listen to these talks. A lot of people have worked hard for that. A lot of people have worked hard to bring me where I am today. And I today am the product of a lot of people's hard work. Their time, their care, their love, their affection, their commitment, their dedication, their generosity. You would not have been able to listen to any of this had it not been for them. My teachers, my associates, my friends, parents and so on. And that is why when we have a moment like this where we begin to realize the truth of our happiness, it's very important that we take a moment to say thank you to all those who left us. And that is exactly what we're going to do just now. So let us take a moment then to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all the other monks resident at this monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. May to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of this monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who continue to provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines. And may to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, our husbands or wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employees and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment transmit to the devas, brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhuta Shasana. Let us also transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. 
May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transmit this to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and to all who have helped and supported us and assisted us in every way and form they could. Let us also transmit this to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed and continue to do so to protect the peace and harmony of our nations, and may all who have lost their lives in the wars be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transmit this to all those who lost their lives in the natural calamities, such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, and reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this infinitely long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them. May to the power of these merits, if, they have, if any of them have been born in the warful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants in this blessed land. And finally, may, through the power of all the mates we have acquired today, you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an arahatun vahanse or an arahat mehenin vahanse in this very life and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all forever.